on today's episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. Been bleeding on the brain. Mm. It, it could have been alcohol poisoning. It could have been a number of things. Um, we weren't told because we weren't in the family. Right. Um, but to know, to, to know that that was the, how can I say this? That was just what we did to heal from mm-hmm. our injuries. This episode is sure to deliver stimulating conversations and aha moments that may give you a fresh perspective. If any moment made your soul vibrate, please leave us a review and let us know if we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe and visit BlackGirlsGettingTheirShiftTogether.com to access exclusive offers and coaching packages. The coaching packages include clarity calls, VIP one-on-one exclusive coaching, and my absolute favorite, the Tribe Vibes. A Tribe Vibe is a twist on Ladies' Night, focusing on self-care for Black women with a holistic approach. Welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'm your host, Ursula, a transformation life coach and mental health and wellness advocate. This is a safe space for amazing Black women to share open, honest dialogue about mental health and wellness, self-care, self-love, and basically how to get our shift together. Let's tune in to this week's episode. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and booty walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sin kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure, you got to love a black girl getting a shift together, black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, man, these black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, dog. made you, boo, you know he showed out. Mahogany enchantress, blessings overflow now. Picture of success, seductive silhouettes on a spiritual quest. Manifest and be blessed. Mother, sister, auntie, tribe of Ashanti. Rocking your locks, I got a close crop blondie. The curse and the gift uplift, apply pressure. Nothing like a black girl getting a shift together. Nothing like a black girl getting a shift together. Nothing like a black girl getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together. Black girls are getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together, man. These black girls are getting a shift together. Mm. Mm. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. I'm your host, Ursula, and I'm a Black girl who's still getting my shift together. But each week, I promise to deliver relevant topics that only we can really relate to with each other. So it's always a wonderful time when I come on and I have the most dopest guests ever. But before we get into it, let's go over a little housekeeping first. Please make sure and visit Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together on all social media. Make sure and visit BlackGirlsGettingTheirShiftTogether.com and especially on the audio podcast. Yo, let me tell you, the audio podcast people are coming for me. You all have been showing so much love. Um, I'm global. Uh, My latest uh, listeners are in Budapest. I don't know anybody in Budapest <laughs> and so many people in Germany, but I really do appreciate it. So whenever you do listen to me on the podcast, make sure give your girl a five, a five-star review. It's okay. I don't mind, <laughs> but I do appreciate it. And I do see all the reviews and I'm so grateful for it. All right. Now we're going to get right into it tonight. I have a very special guest. And he's very charismatic, and you all will enjoy him like I have. So I'm going to bring my handsome guest to the forefront. (laughs) Hey, David. Hello. How you doing? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I'm well. How's it going? Things are going good. Things are going very well. Very well. Glad to be here. And hello to all the guests out there in Budapest. I know, right? <laughs> I don't think it, I don't know anyone in Budapest. I don't know anyone in uh, Germany, Lithuania. I don't know, but I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. But um, I just want to let everybody know my motivation for today's show. We already have a hello, hello, Sophia. <laughs> so the motivation for this is. I met David, we were at a, a filming <laughs> and there were, the, the topic was mental health and it was in a barber shop and it was with my, my organization as well as his organization, which we, we'll get into in a second. But David and I, we talked the entire night and his story is amazing truly amazing and it was a no-brainer to share this brother with my guest so david yes (laughs) ma'am what made you decide to to go into the military or how was it growing up i should say before we get into the military whatever you'd like to share no let's talk about it so let's get into it (laughs) so i'm originally from rochester new york and i know when i was about 16 years old that there was nothing there for me. I was real good at football, but my grades weren't good. Uh, I thought I was going to go to the University of Buffalo to play football. That wasn't going to happen for me. Mm -hmm. And me and my dad, we bumped heads all the time. So with college not being an option, uh, I looked uh, for something, a way to get out of Rochester. Mm -hmm. So one, one day, my senior year in high school, I was riding the bus and I saw this building, and I put a bu- the button on the uh, on the bus. I got um, off. I walked into this building and said, "Hey, I want to join the army." And uh, that's how I joined the army. It, I didn't get recruited or anything. Just I saw the I saw the recruiting station back then. The motto was "Be all you can be," 
and I became all like a bee. <laughs> you said, hell yeah, let's do this. Yeah. So did you have a military background in your family? Not at all. I was the first one in my family to join the military. The first one in my family to <laughs> ever leave Rochester. Are um, you kidding me? No, didn't know anything about the military at all. And this was in 2005. So this was during the war in Iraq. But it, 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 I, as soon as I saw it, it was like, oh, you know, it was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to join the army. And I did it. So how did your family receive that information? Oh, my mom was mad. My mom was mad. I'm my mom's oldest child and I'm her only son. And, oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was a real wild kid. I was a real, real wild kid. So I joined the army as a cavalry scout. May, may I interject? Yeah. When you tell me that you were a wild child, your your demeanor, you're so calm and laid back. I just really can't wrap <laughs> my brain up. And you all, this how he talks is real easy and calm. That's how he really is. So for yeah. you to tell me how wild you were, I just can't see it. Yeah, I was I was a wild kid, Rochester in the inner city with all my mm -hmm. friends, wanting to do what I want to do and wanting to do it when I wanted to do it. I joined the army and I said, Hey, I told my recruiter, his name was Sergeant Soto. I said, I don't want one of them jobs that anybody can do. I want something that's a challenge. I want something hard. So he showed me all of these videos uh, downtown on East Main Street. And one particular video caught my eye. Mm -hmm. And he said, Well, David, that's a 19 Delta. That's a Calvary Scout. And I said, Sign me up. Didn't What's I a Calvary Scout? I didn't come from a military. Team. <laughs> so, so I'm going to ask a lot of questions. I have no yeah. idea. So our, our job was a lot of a lot of reconnaissance. The Calvary is what's called the eyes and ears of the army. So what we do is oh. infiltrate. We go behind enemy lines without being caught and we observe what we see. And if there's an enemy element that's small enough for us to take them out, we take them out. If not, we call in for reinforcements for a bigger element to come take them out while we keep eye on what's going on and make sure that no extra unit no extra enemy units come in and then we make sure also that the, no enemy units escape so we're the eyes and ears of the army oh my god yeah if i wasn't scared of guns and bullets i could do that because i'm nosy as hell <laughs> <laughs> no you know at 17 years old i told my recruiter i needed a job just as wild as i was and the calvary was it it, it was the, the united states calvary best job in the army <laughs> wow so was that training different it was oh it was hard f very physically demanding luckily i played football all four years of high school and my senior year in high school i wrestled to get ready for the physical demands of the military plus i was young i mean i i joined literally while i was still in high school did I was you in, really yeah i was in something called the delayed entry program so my recruiter he taught me the phonetic alphabet. We weren't running at, at parks and things like that. He taught me drill and cadence so I could go into the army as an E2, which is just the, the sec of the rank be, uh, above the lowest rank in the military at E1. But, uh, but yeah, we did, you know, the summer of 2005, I spent preparing to join the army as a Calvary Scout. Wow. Hey, Cotty. Cotty, weren't you in the military? Let, let, let a sister know. I think I heard her say that once before. I think I did. 
So, okay. Were you nervous at all? No, I wasn't nervous. I was more worried about my mom because yeah. here I was, you know, her baby, you know, I'm the, I'm the oldest, I'm the firstborn, I'm the only boy. And literally, I joined the army. Well, I graduated from high school and I was in the army two weeks later. <gasps> I couldn't literally. even imagine that. <laughs> and so I mean... she's so the, the transition for for those of you who are watching to see your son, your baby, your firstborn go from being a high school senior to a man in two weeks. It was a lot for her to take in. Oh, my God. OK, here we go. I knew I heard that. She's a cop in the Air Force. All right, let's go, Air Force. <laughs> so, okay. So did your mom keep in touch? Were y'all able to keep in touch? How does that work? When you're oh, here? yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, we kept in touch so much. I got an Article 15 in basic training. And, <laughs> and Article, 15, Article 15, that's a letter of reprimand when you do something you're not supposed to do in the Army. Uh, my mother's birthday is in October, and I was in basic training at Fort Knox from September to July. And so I snuck out of my troop area to go to the payphones back when we had payphones um, to tell my mom happy birthday. And I went with a couple of my friends, but one of them got scared, and he went back to our troop area, and he said Kendrick went AWOL, and he went and he went to go look for me. <laughs> Wait, so, so your friend ratted on you? Yeah, he got scared when we got to the phones and he ran back to the troop area and he got caught and he said, I was looking for Kendrick. Kendrick went AWOL. And so this drill sergeant, he went from pay, bo uh, pay phone to pay phone, booth to booth, asking people what troop they were in. And, you know, I was in Hotel Troop 615 and, you know, he cussed me out, told me to go back to the troop area and I got an Article 15. So I got put on extra duty. 14 days of extra duty, which meant after the troop went to bed at eight o'clock, I had to stay up until 12 o'clock at night um, just doing extra duty. Are you kidding me? See, yeah. if Cotty <laughs> was there, she would have arrested you. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your other experiences? Like, what are some of the good experiences that you had? Well, the military was the best time of my life. I met the best friends that I ever met in the military. Mm -hmm. uh, five dudes from all around the country, most of them North Carolina, two guys from North Carolina, one guy from Indianapolis, one guy from New Jersey. But we we're all a bunch of young guys in the army. And one of one of my best friends, his name is Phelps. He joined the he was in the army before us and he had deployed. This is when my my unit, second infantry division. They just came from Fallujah and the deployment there was really bad. And I believe 2003, 2004. Right. And he kind of guided us through the army, guided us through what to expect going, uh, joining the army and preparing to go to Iraq and things like that. And even when we went to Iraq, it was it was the best time of my life because of the guys that I were with. I was with these were guys who. They were all older than me. I mean, I went to Iraq when I was 19 years old, mm -hmm. but we just we just had this bond. When you when you go through something with people, your bond becomes tighter, like people who go through college and things like that. Right. But, go, but going to war with people and knowing that that person is depending on you to live and vice versa and you meet their family, their friends, their kids, mm. things like that. It brings you all that much closer. And it, I never had a bond like that again to this day. And I'm I'm 35 years old now. And that's back when I was 19. 
So does it feel like a, a fraternity almost or deeper it, than it, that? It, it, it does, you know, and it's so much deeper because, you know, um, we watch each other, we watch each other become like grown men on the, mm -hmm. on the battlefield. Like my, one of my best friends, I call him, uh, we call him G, his name is Adamson. You know, he had a baby in the middle of our deployment. And so the, the, the deployment, it meant that much more to all of us to make sure that he got back home to see his child. Right. You know, because this what we deployed during the height of the war in 2006 and 2007. So we lost a lot of people during this time. And President Bush was president back then. He initiated something called the Troop Surge, where we sent in an additional 20,000 uh, soldiers into Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And so they came out with these new types of IEDs called EFPs and things like that. And we all lost friends during this deployment. We all together, we lost one of our best friends. He was my roommate at Fort Carson in Colorado Springs and in Iraq. And I didn't find that out until the day after I was injured. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so huh. tell, I tell my own personal story. Uh, June 17th, 2007. Uh, we have a question first. Oh, okay. Cotty wants to know, are you are you still friends with the guy, the one who told on you? <laughs> no. I like, hope I'm not hope you're not friends with him. No, no, no. Uh, we were a bunch of teenagers, man. Yeah. And uh you could like all the teenagers, we hung out because we had all went through the delayed entry program. And no, he just got scared. And you know, I'm looking for Kendrick. But uh when we got to Iraq. Uh, the, it was it was the worst time to be at in war. Our deployments were extended from 12 months to 14 months. And uh, June 17, 2007, I was shot in both legs during an ambush. Um, I initially you weren't talking shot. about that. Oh like, yes, I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm how fine. How did it go down? Uh, so we had a mission uh, from a combat operations post. So the uh, the war was so bad at the time that we spent five days out in sector living with the Iraqi police. So we would leave the Iraqi police station and go right out into sector in Baghdad. And on this one particular day, we, we've done this mission about four or five days in a row, checking the checking people going in and out of the college for explosives. And June 17th, 2007, just one particular day, the Iraqi police, they weren't on the corner with us. And you know how you can kind of feel like when something's in the air? There's a Beanie Seagull song. You can feel it in the air. Mm. You know, um, <laughs> it was just this weird feeling in the air. And I was just walking back to my truck. I heard the loud crack of a rifle, and my life changed forever. I was shot by a sniper, and my truck commander, he jumped on top of me because two guys, they pulled up to me on a, in a pickup truck. And they had AK-47s and they did something called pray and spray where they just blindly shoot at whatever target they're trying to hit. What? Yeah, they, they shot me again in my right leg. Oh, I thought it happened at the same time when. No, when I, uh, from what I so when I when I got shot by the sniper, I fell to the ground, but I blacked out before I hit the ground. Are you kidding and, me? Yeah, the, the impact, uh, either the impact of hitting the ground knocked me out or just falling to the ground knocked me out. But I, I was hitting my left leg. And from what my truck commander told me, uh, a truck pulled up, two guys hopped out, 
and they both had AK-47s, and they shot at me again. Shoot, they shot me in my right leg. He jumped on top of me. He got shot in his forearm and his hip. He survived. And then those guys took off, but we couldn't chase them because we had two casualties on the ground. And the bullet, it shattered my femoral artery, or my, my femur. It hit my femoral artery. But thanks to the training that we do, Oh my uh, God. They, they were able to stop the bleeding and save my life. <sighs> mm -hmm. I knew you were blacked out, but did you, when did you come when, when you oh, were conscious? So it, it was only about like 45 seconds after I hit the ground. That's it. So, really? So I, woke, I, I woke up and I saw my truck commander laying face down about five feet away from me in a pool of his own blood. And when I looked down at my legs, my left leg, because the bullet had shattered my femur, my left leg, it just didn't look like it was a part of my body anymore. It was just dangling off to the side. What? And, so the bullet didn't go through? Oh, no, it went straight through. It hit, it, it shattered my femur. So it went straight through. Jesus. And, you know, the, the femur is the biggest bone in your body. Mm -hmm. And it also hit my femoral artery, which is the biggest artery in your body. So thankfully, earlier... Well, in 2006, we went to uh, a uh, month-long training in California, and we went through something called Combat Lifesavers training. Mm -hmm. And I had a very good dismount. His name is Michael Hamilton. He uh, he saved my life. He put two tourniquets on my left leg and one tourniquet on my right. And it took two tourniquets to stop the bleeding on my left leg because, number one, I got hit on my femoral artery. And then, two, even though I was much smaller, I was still a big guy in the military. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of blood pumping through that artery. Ooh. So it took, it took two tourniquets to stop the bleeding. What did it feel like? Uh, it felt like a, a really big hanger got pulled through my leg. You, you, you ever see those big steel beams? Um, that they use on construction sites. Yeah. It felt like one of those got pulled through my leg. And then when I was on the ground, uh, I felt a lot of, uh, it felt like these big explosions was going on in my legs. And the doctors told me that was my nerves going going off in my leg because really? the, bullet, the bullet clipped my sciatic nerve. So uh, it, I can't move the toes in my left foot anymore because it, it clipped the nerve. And they said if it would have severed the nerve completely, they would have had to amputate my leg. But luckily, really? Luckily, they didn't. But I do have spots on my leg where I have no phys no no nerve activity, no feeling, anything. Just dead spots on my leg because the bullet clipped the sciatic nerve. That makes sense because at the filming, I remember you said, "Oh, I have to sit down." Mm -hmm. We're like, because we were standing up a very long time yeah. on the concrete. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I remember that. After that, I got two blood transfusions, and during this time, we were losing so many soldiers and having so many casualties that the hospital in Longstuhl, Germany, they ran out of American blood to give to us soldiers. Are you so kidding I had, me? I had to get a blood transfusion with German blood. And then I got sent back to the States at Army, uh, Evans Army Community Hospital in Fort Carson, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And they told me the extent of my injuries and told me that my femur was shattered. They had to cut my legs open or my left leg. They had to cut it open on the bottom. So I have something called compartment syndrome because of the swelling. The swe I, had a, I had really bad swelling and a really bad infection. 
because they had to cut my pants completely off when I was shot to find the entry and exit wound. So they knew where to put the tourniquet. So laying on the ground in Iraq, a bunch of dirt and sand got into the into the yeah. wound. And so I caught a really bad infection. And they told me that if the infection got to my blood or into my bone or my blood, they would have to amputate. Luckily, they didn't have to. And uh, so from that injury, of course, you know, me and my mom, you know, say no weapon formed against me shall prosper because yeah. it didn't. And uh, I spent three months in the hospital and three and a half years of physical therapy. And in 2010, I got out of the military. I medically retired. So what can you talk about how your mom had the call when she received the call about you? Well, the call. Well, so what makes the story even more interesting and the reason I kind of wrote, I wrote my book. Yeah. I got, June 17th, 2007 was Father's Day. So mm-hmm. I am David Kendrick Jr. My dad is my next to kin. So they called my dad and my mom and my dad are separated. But they called my dad and said he, uh, he had an emergency Red Cross message saying your son has been shot. We don't know the extent of the injuries. We will let you know more once we find out more. And my dad said he called my mom and my mom was with my stepdad because the church had took all the dads to the country buffet in Rochester to go out to eat for Father's Day. Mm -hmm. So my mom was right there in the middle of the country buffet and got the call. Hey, they called me Junior, Junior back home. Uh Junior got shot. And she said she screamed the whole the whole country buffet stopped, started praying, and uh, she called me when I was in Germany. And because I had lost so much blood, and I was I was going through so many uh, surgeries, and my blood pressure was so low, there are times coming back coming from Iraq back to the states that I don't remember talking to her. But one thing that I, I'll never forget is a moment that we locked eyes in the hospital at Fort Carson. Mm. She saw me laying there in the hospital bed, you know, her her only son, her oldest child, you know, still still 20 years old. And here I am. A baby. (laughs) Yeah. Here I am shot in both legs and doctors telling her how lucky I am to be alive, you know, and they had to, you know, let the doc set the doctor straight. Like, hey, we believe in God and all that good stuff, you know, so. Right. um, Yeah. So that, that brought me and my mom closer as well, because anytime you almost lose anybody, you know, it, it brings you two that much closer together. But, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that was a real intense moment for my entire family, me, my mom, my dad, my stepdad. Yes. My dad explained it as uh, getting a number, a phone call from an international phone number, because this is back when we still had phone cards. And he thought it was me calling to tell him Happy Father's Day. Oh. Instead, it was a Red Cross message saying your son had been shot. Damn. Yeah. That's traumatic. Yeah. So Father's Day means a lot more to me and my dad. Now we have that bond. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, Cotty, I agree. She said, wow, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Wow. So how was your recovery when you were Colorado, correct? Colorado Springs. Yes. So it was it was very long, very hard. And the bond that I talked about earlier with my best friends, I didn't have that anymore because when they when our when our deployed first of all, my best friend, my roommate, was shot and killed by a sniper on June 18th. The next day? 
the very next day. Now, I didn't find that out until I came back to Fort Carson. And this was about, I think, June 25th or something like that. Oh, my God. Because uh, he kind of hooked me up with my girlfriend. She told me. And she thought, well, she told me when I was in Germany. But because I was so in and out of it, I don't even remember hearing that. So when I got to Fort Carson, she told me again, and I just freaked out. And I had a lot of survivor's guilt because he was also, you know, he was black. And I had all these different scenarios in my mind. But the number one scenario I had is that the sniper shot me, thought I had survived, saw me on the same corner the next day. But this time he shot to kill. And instead of killing me, he killed my best friend. And what made me feel like crap is uh, I didn't have children. I still don't. But he has he had children. And I'm like, you just took this man away from his kids. Mm. And now they're not going to have a father growing up. You know, I, I it, it, it killed me in the hospital to know that he was he was no longer here. And even though mm. I survived, I'm like, I don't have any kids to raise. I don't have anybody looking up to me. So that right. was the beginning of my PTSD, my depression, everything. It was that survivor's guilt. Absolutely. Because, because I survived and he didn't. So while going through physical therapy in the hospital and going in and out of surgery, I was still feeling guilty because my best friend had died. He was no longer here. Mm. Woo. Wow. So you formed new friends when you were in Colorado? I tried. I tried, yeah. uh, but there, there was nothing I can compare to the group of friends that I had there. Um, what I found out, I got assigned to this unit called the Warrior Transition Unit. And this unit was so bad that it made the New York Times in 2008, 2009. Because what I believe is the Army had so many casualties that they started these units, but didn't know exactly how to treat the soldiers that were, that were coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm. So I tried to find new friends, but what I found out is there was a secret underbelly of the military where soldiers drank with alcohol, traded their pills, um, selling their prescriptions and things like that. And I found my place in a group in, in a group and mm-hmm. and it was normal to us to take more medication that we needed to or trade each other's Mm -hmm. pills or drink with our pills, go out in Colorado, have a bunch of fun because in this unit we were all injured and I've coined this term called Superman syndrome. When you live through something that everybody else told you was supposed to kill you, you feel invincible. You feel like nothing. Mm -hmm. You feel like nothing at all can kill you. And when I was in the hospital at Fort Carson, uh, when they were doing all these surgeries and things like that, I got something in my left leg called a DVT, deep vein thrombosis. And it's a very severe blood clot. Oh, my God. I was on two medications for it, one called Coumadin, one called Lovenox. Mm -hmm. Lovenox, I had to give myself two shots a day in the stomach. And you're not supposed to drink on these blood thinners because obviously uh, liquor thins your blood. Didn't care. care. I was drinking because I was depressed because my friends had came back from Iraq, but they continued their military careers. I was the only one left behind. 
And I was searching for another, I was searching for that feeling, that bond, that camaraderie that I felt with those guys. Yeah. And I was, I was finding it in all the wrong places. That's another layer of trauma, just losing friends and still you're not getting what you used to have compounded yeah. with the injury. Yeah. Oh so, my goodness. So man, I was, I was in this unit. I was depressed and, uh, you know, when people abuse substances, you find friendship in other people that abuse substances. No yeah. matter what your, your no matter what your substance of choice is, alcoholics hang with alcoholics, cokeheads hang with cokeheads, crackheads yeah. hang with crackheads, and and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I fit right in with a bunch of guys who love to drink, love mm-hmm. to party. We were still young. I mean, hell, I got shot when I was twenty, when I just turned twenty. And after my injury, after recovering and stuff like that, I was still only 21 years old. So I was still young. And so once I turned 21, here's what was so crazy about this time. Even though I had served the country, I came back, got shot. I still wasn't even old enough to buy myself alcohol. Wow. (laughs) Really? I hung with a bunch of guys who did it for me. And then once I turned 21, I no longer had to sneak into these bars and to these clubs and things like that. And I was so depressed, man, and wanted to be around a group of people so bad. I was on my crutches and still using my cane and still going into these bars and things like that because I just didn't want to be by myself. And I was so, so, so suicidal at this time. Because I just was, I just went from the best time of my life to the worst time of my life. Mm. Now, now I have no friends. Now I'm permanently disabled because uh, the doctors told me if after one year you're not able to move your toes, that means that the nerve that uh, the nerve that nerve connection is dead. Really? So I found that out at 21 years old that I, my nerves were dead in my left leg. I had something called plantar fasciitis in my left foot. I heard that is so painful. I had to wear a boot to keep my my foot at 90 degrees at night because I I also had foot drop because when you can't walk for months at a time, all the muscles in your feet, they atrophy. Mm. So I was in physical therapy for three years and they were trying to stretch out my left ankle and make because I could walk on my right leg. Because a bullet that hit my right leg, it only took out a big chunk of meat. But in my left leg, it did severe damage. So they put a titanium rod in my left leg, but I couldn't be, I couldn't put all of my weight on it for about two years. Are you kidding me? I didn't know that about the rod. Mm-hmm. So uh, my left Ooh. leg, the, it, it, when I tell you it shattered my femur, because I was shot with an AK-47 sniper rifle. So... High high velocity bullet, a lot of power going through my left leg, enough to shatter the biggest bone in my body. Mm. And luckily, <laughs> luckily, this is the only time it, it worked in my favor to be large in the military because they said if I was a smaller guy, it would have blew my leg completely off. Damn. Yeah, but luckily, it it uh, I, I was a big guy. And luckily, I had a dismount, thank God, who paid attention in combat lifesavers training. Michael Hamilton from California saved my life. Shout he put, out Michael. <laughs> he put three tourniquets on both my legs. I mean, for because for about two minutes, it was just me and him. 
on the street and I was talking to him. Hey, man, I, I, I feel this. I feel that. And he had to put his thumb in the hole <laughs> initially to stop the bleeding. What? So, and, and, that's, and that's how big the hole was. He put his thumb in it to stop the bleeding. Damn. And so fast forward back. I'm in this unit and I'm just looking for a friend, looking for a friend. Mm -hmm. And anybody who was drinking or getting prescribed pills, mm -hmm. we were all friends. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about your friend who um, had his injury. Um, and you had to talk to his mom. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So in, in this unit, uh, I found another Calvary Scout, and we became pretty good friends. We were in the same platoon in, in Warrior Transition Unit. And, you know, when you're young, you have a bunch of friends, and you see guys or, or gals who drink or do whatever substance of choice. Mm -hmm. You may see them intoxicated, inebriated, and you think, oh, they're going to be okay. You know, I've seen them even worse than that before. Well, one day, one of my really good friends in my platoon went out with a bunch of friends and I ended up going to a separate bar, but I met him at the club that he went to that night and his face was really bruised. And I thought to myself, well, gee, did he really, did he already, did he get into a fight? Like what happened? Mm -hmm. And other friends told me that he had fell face first off the curb and didn't brace himself. And, mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. We saw him and we said, okay, well, let's just take him home. Let's make sure he's okay. Things like that. Mm -hmm. And this was on a Friday night. And uh, that Saturday, something was telling me, hey, man, go check on him. Go check on him. But y y when you see people in that state almost daily or you know somebody's limit, you're like, oh, okay, he he'll sleep it off. He'll be okay. But that didn't happen. And Monday I got the call that he was, you know, he had passed away. Ooh. And and this was somebody who I saw every day. I mean, we used to we were in the same platoon in Warrior Transition Unit, WTU, and the military didn't tell us exactly what the cause of death was, but they did fly me and a friend to his hometown, Omaha, Nebraska, mm. and man, just you know, seeing him in the casket and seeing his mom and. Mm. And just she was like, you know, well, you guys were the last one with them. Tell me what happened. And, you know, it's just a, a sinking feeling that you get and, oh. and and realizing the impact that suicide and, and all these different addictions can have on the family members, the next of kin. Right. You know, it, it was just horrible, horrible, horrible. And at the time, the military just didn't know how to treat us veterans who were injured. They didn't know how to take care of us. And so we were just all placed together with really with no guidance. And, you know, it, it was just a, a bad situation. And so that's what, you know, the, the unit made the New York times things, mm -hmm. things slowly started to get better within the unit, but I left in 2010, but that moment, it, it was, it was a shock to realize that hey, the, the what we're doing it may be fun to us, but it may have implications on our family members that'll last forever. Absolutely. So, hey, Candy, how are you? She's saying hello, everyone. But David, we have a question. Cotty wanted to know, 
or you think he may have overdosed? Don't know. Uh, it could have been a couple of different things by him not bracing himself from the fall. It could have been bleeding on the brain. Mm. It, it could have been alcohol poisoning. It could have been a number of things. Um, we weren't told because we weren't in the family. Right. Um, but to know, to, to know that that was the, how can I say this? That was just what we did to heal from mm -hmm. our injuries physically and mentally because we had no outlets back then this was active duty army this weren't this was even through the va we had no real outlets back then to vent about what we were going through and you would think so in was it 2005 this was 2008 2009 exactly but, but, but when we went through that time, that troop surge, when President Bush sent all those troops into Iraq and Afghanistan, well, really Baghdad, just Iraq, we soldiers were coming back by the dozens mm. and injured, missing limbs, not being able to see. And these are guys who were young. So my mindset as a 21-year-old man, what the hell is my life going to look like in five years? Oh my God! I know they, they they told me they don't know if I'll be able to walk again. I don't know if I'm gonna. What is my quality of life going to be like? And we counseled each other, and unfortunately, we counseled each other over bottles of vodka or over mm -hmm. a, a bottle of uh, oxycotton, Vicodin. Right. Well, you had to use what was available. I mean, I I get it. Yeah. You know, it, it, I mean, there you had no tools, so you had to use the tools that were available. Yeah. Uh, Tati made a great point. She said the military is bad for treating wounded soldiers, especially ones that are struggling mentally. Yeah, especially the ones who are still in the military, at least when I was in back in to from 2005 to 2010. But especially after my injury. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there weren't many resources for us, and it was this. And this was back when the military. You can go into sick call, which is going to like it's not the emergency room, but before uh, before PT in the morning, you go to something called sick call if you're not feeling well. You used to be able to get 35 Vicodin just by saying I got a headache. Oh my, really? Yeah, yeah because. They, they there was there was no real plan to take mm -hmm. care of the injured soldiers. We were all just bunched together in a in a unit. And once I made my E five, I was on something called a uh, CQ duty, which is called it stands for CQ Charge of Quarters. I had made my E five, and I became E five Sergeant. I became Sergeant oh, Kendrick. Okay. And because uh, I was one of the only E5s in the barracks, I used to have to sit and watch the barracks for 24 hours at a time. And there were times where we found soldiers who had overdosed in their rooms and um, other times uh, soldiers were coming home drunk. We would get calls from the MPs or the police department in Colorado Springs. Hey, we've just detained private so-and-so. Somebody needs to come pick them up, things oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, we were just being depressed. And just like when I found out my best friend was shot and killed the day after I got shot, mm. that, was hap that was happening to other people in the unit in WTU as well. This is just a and ripple effect of death. It, 
It happened to me again in 2009 when my unit, the 361st Cavalry Regiment, they went to Afghanistan and they were ambushed. And I lost a really good friend named Michael Scusa. And it just it killed me again because I'm like, here we go again. This is my same unit. And me and Scusa, we were both 19 years old when we deployed to oh, Iraq. Man. So he was 21 just like me when they went to Afghanistan and he lost his life again. And uh, well, not again, but he lost his life. And I'm like, here we go again. Mm. I want to be out there with my friends. I want to be out there with my unit. They're dying. He has a kid. I don't. Why wasn't that me? Mm. And so I repeated the cycle again, going right back down that rabbit hole. Survivor's guilt. Drinking once again. Um, meeting, talking to his mom and just doing everything that I can to just just get through that hard time See? And, and with my friends not being there anymore my therapy was a bottle of Smirnoff every yeah. day every day I can imagine uh, Kati said that she was mistreated as well when her commander found out she was getting medically discharged he made her life a living hell yeah um, it, this unit that I was in you could tell that they weren't prepared for the amount of people that were injured. And then for the for the soldier, for ourselves, sometimes it's not a good idea to let people do whatever they want to do, especially when they have access to pills and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And on you, you go to any military installation, they sell alcohol at the gas station and it's tax free. <laughs> and I'm not talking about these little <laughs> knockoff alcohols you see now, you know, when you go to Quick Trip, not like that. I'm talking about Crown Royal, right there. What? The yeah. They damn sure don't have it at my gas station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how, the, at least that's how the military was back when I was in from 2005 to 2010. Right. And, and it's tax free. So, and, and I, I got, I got $50,000 through something called TSGLI. It was a military life, a life insurance. And because I spent so much time in the hospital, I got $50,000 tax free. So here wow. I was, <laughs> here I was with $50,000 free time, access to alcohol and access, access to medication. Man, I was doing whatever, and what I call the Superman syndrome. I was doing whatever the hell I wanted to do. Nobody could tell me nothing because I was still young. I had gotten shot. Um, I had lost a bunch of weight. So, you know, like I was buying all these new clothes and stuff like that, going out, buying shots for everybody. And at the time, this was when women were really like digging soldiers. So mm. I could go to any bar and then, you know, oh, you just got shot. It, you know, it yeah. was like it, it, it was like being like, I don't know, freaking a celebrity or something like that. Yes, I you can know? see that. And and it, it all went to my 21 year old head, man. And I didn't see the damage that I was doing to myself. And I think that's anybody who's addicted to anything. They don't see the damage they're doing to themselves until it's too late. You see it in somebody else or uh, you're no longer here. Exactly. Candy said you were numbing out and didn't want to feel the reality of life. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Because, so true, uh, Candy. I, I did it. And when I moved home, it got even worse because I, I moved back to Rochester in 2010. 
and I was living with my dad. And here I here I went from leaving Rochester at 18 years old to make a better life for myself and leaving all that crap behind. Mm-hmm. Now being right back in the same city and living with, my, living with my dad. And when like the army, when you're on active duty, it's your life. You eat, breathe, sleep, everything army. And that was taken away from me. It, it felt like my life was just incomplete. And then I went from drinking with a group of soldiers to just drinking by myself every day. Yes. By myself to the point where I ended up leaving my dad's house and just living on the street, couch surfing, because we used to get into arguments and I was afraid I was going to hurt him. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I was after I healed, I started lifting weights. I got in really good shape and we just butted heads all the time. Yeah. And, you know, my dad's an old country boy from South Carolina. Love him to death. But, you know, sometimes he would say, see, you should never join the army. And that just used to get under my skin because I was still now here. I was trying to find my place in life as a a 23 year old man. After living in the army and I wrote a blog about it, I think I talked to you about it. Mm -hmm. when When you have on that military uniform. It feels like you feel like a superhero. Like you get all the respect that you get, the admiration. People want to walk up to you, shake your hand, thank you for your service. And then when I came back to Rochester, I didn't have that no more. Oh, it was just. It, and it was at it was at twenty three. I felt like just another black man in America. Here we go. Another we go. layer of trauma. Yeah, and I'm like. <laughs> And I'm like, and I wasn't getting the help from the V8 that I needed either. And it was, everything was just a big slap in the face. So mm. I was trying to look for what a way out, but I just, I just went deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. So we have a couple of comments. Candy said with some friends, the common denominator is drinking and doing drugs. And without that, there is no common bond. I found yeah. that, you, you know, you yeah. know what? Uh, there was a couple times when I decided to stop drinking for a while and me and my friends didn't have anything to hang out. We didn't have nothing to talk about. We didn't hang out. Just like she said. Yeah. Over, over. You can talk to somebody is your best friend over a bottle. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Candy, she's from Rochester. Oh, okay. Okay. She's so, from- you know, so, you know, okay. <laughs> And she said also that, oh, your self-awareness is beautiful now. Happy you are still with us. Yeah. Oh, man. You, you know what? Yeah. I, now now that I do what I do, like as a professional speaker with NAMI and, and have my own business and things like that, um, I recorded what I went through, which was a crazy, crazy time. It's on YouTube and everything. But one day I just picked up a camera and started recording stuff. And I recorded this entire transition and I don't watch it. It's the worst time of my life. But to know, you have to know what you've been through to know what you won't go through anymore. Oh, yeah, that's that's deep right there. You know, I (laughs) I agree with you because when I first started therapy, my therapist suggested I've never been a writer. I'm good with my hands and tangible. I'm creative like that. And she said, I want you to start journaling. 
I didn't want to do it, but I did it because I wanted better for myself. I knew whatever I was doing at the time, I could not continue. So I started journaling and it took me about a year. Oh, no, I'm lying. It took me two years to go back and read what I was going through. Mm-hmm. That was just writing. I could not imagine watching it on video. You're so courageous. Yeah. Um, yeah. One day, <laughs> this is so funny. One day when I was in school, uh, college, my, my, uh, one of my uh, like earth science teachers was talking about, we were talking about viral videos way before all this stuff is viral now. So I said, let me just pick up a camera and record what I went through, mm-hmm. what I'm going through and, re- and recorded the entire thing. It's wild. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, let's see. Cody said, it's very hard to readjust to civilian life. I'm, I'm still turned up. <laughs> I'm still turned up and ready to fight all the time. Cody. But let me tell you something. When you join the when you join the military and everything is so structured, and then yeah. you come into the regular world and you and you and you you know the answer to something, you know how to get something done, but you have to go through about 15 different people to get it done, it makes you upset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it it really does make you upset. And you know, with, with my so with my transition now uh into the person who I am now. I ended up going to school. I used my GI Bill. I went to college. I got my master's degree now from uh, Keller Graduate School. Uh, and I work with NAMI now as a vice president to help other people suffering from mental health, especially veterans. Because yeah. not too many people, like the young lady said earlier, are self-aware of what they are going through. Before we go on, I know what NAMI is, but can you explain to the listeners who NAMI is. We know you're the vice president of the DeKalb yeah. chapter. Yeah, so National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, NAMI is the largest grassroots mental health organization in the country. Bunch of guys and gals just got in the room and said, let's talk. Let's talk about our mental health. So we have uh, groups, different groups for people with lived experiences, people who are going through mental illness, people who are caregivers for people with mental illness. Uh, I, I am I'm certified now in something called NAMI Homefront for veterans who suffer from mental illness. Um, I'm not sure if NAMI is, is worldwide. I would love to hear from some of your viewers in Budapest right. about, how they, about, about how they handle <laughs> mental illness in other countries. But once I got educated and I was able to tell my own story because that's therapy for me, I went after it with NAMI. That's amazing. So how did you become the vice president? I'm sure that um, you wore that with the crown. <laughs> being, being in Atlanta uh, and connecting with the United Way down here, they have oh. a program called the VIP program, which te- which teaches individuals how to be board members on nonprofit boards. And really? I graduated. Yep, I graduated from the United Way VIP program in 2017. And w- since people knew what I did, because you know I have a I have a small reputation now, somebody <laughs> said, "Well, David, you know, you live in DeKalb County. You should think about joining the board of NAMI as a VP." And I did it. And I've been VP for about a year and a half now. Right. I, I, I love it. I, I love to help other people and just get get people the help that they need and advocate for others. Absolutely. So I want to share with the listeners when we were at the filming, 
it, I was so full looking at all these beautiful black men talk so open and freely about their mental health. Mm -hmm. There was, it was a safe space. And as a black woman witnessing that, that just, it gives me chills every time. And you were so open with your story. Everyone was, everyone. So just to let everybody know, we did a filming with the president of the national president of Navi, <laughs> yeah. and he is he so trip. charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. And speaking of that, we need to know when that filming is gonna be out. I know it'll be out for NamiCon. Yes, we do. I believe they said they're gonna send some pictures out in April, but yeah, Mr. Uh Gillison uh also lived in Rochester as well. So oh, you know, yeah. big big shout out to him. But you know, uh being being vulnerable as a black man, uh it, it's it's a I would say it's a learned trait because in the world when people see a, a black man you are your your people are stereotyping you immediately. Like me, Absolutely. Me having a beard, being a big black man. You know, some people are walk. It's so funny being a black man. I I I'll give I give people this comparison and they don't believe it. But when I li- I used to live in Cherokee, which is the suburbs, um, in, in the town called Ackworth, people would see me walking across the street. Come in Atlanta, people will see me walking. They'll try to rob me, you know. Like, and that's being a black man in America. You know, mm. it's, like, it's like, where do you fit in? Some half the world scared of you. The other half, you got to fight to survive. <laughs> you know, uh, being in being in Rochester, I was back in the same environment with the same people that I left behind. You got to be a completely different person in that environment. Wow. But who I am now. And where I am now in my life, you know, I don't have to be because now I don't place myself in those situations. But what I find now, I have to prove myself more often because of the stereotypes out there. I have to take a deep breath on that because <laughs> it's so relatable. It's yeah. so relatable. Um, let's see. Candy said your Rochester neighbor. She said, telling your story and having some bear witness to what you went through is such a healing experience. Yes, it, it really is. And um, true strength is your vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, Thank um, you. Inner peace is being your authentic self in all environments. Yeah. And knowing, knowing so who wonderful. you are, <laughs> Knowing who you are, man, that, that personal growth is something. It, it really is something. Because uh, at one point in time, I wasn't able to join the Army because I failed the entry exam, the ASVAB. I failed. Really? I failed it. And I went to summer school all four years of high school. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I joined the Army late. you know. But here I am now with my master's degree because I worked hard at who I am. And to be somebody in this world you sure did you speaking about being someone let's transition and let's talk about calvary yeah uh, let's talk about it oh man i wish i had my stuff with me here so i I wrote a book about my time in iraq and unlike all the well not even in iraq from everything we talked about today leading up to my decision to join the military going to NTC, the train, and then going to Iraq. Mm -hmm. I'm really, 
somebody asked me, why did you write the story? And I said, really, it was so easy to write because it was the best time of my life. And it was just, and it was, it was different. It's not your average military story, but it's still short enough for you to read. It's only about 300 pages, but it's a story about how me joining the army impacted my mom, my family, and how I met these five black dudes from all around the country, man. And we built this bond and we fought for each other during the worst time of the war. And build this bond as cavalry scouts. And it's just a military story that you don't hear. A, a group of black men fighting for the country. Uh, we have the Tuskegee Airmen, but that was way back in the 70s during the Vietnam War. Right. And there hasn't been a true war story about not, not one, let alone five black men fighting on the front lines for the country. So Calvary, man, is is Calvary because I'm a Calvary Scout, historic MOS in the Army. If you all want to support this brother, I dropped the link in the thread right now. And it's a live link. And you can go. It'll take you straight to his Amazon link where you can purchase his book from a Black author. Yeah. um In the process right now of uh, trying to get it made into a movie. Yes, um, let's talk about that. Yeah, just trying to get it on the big screen to tell this very important story, not only about the black soldier experience, but the military experience. Right. What, what it's like to be on the front lines and uh, for to have moms out there see what it's like to have a son or a daughter go to war. Mm. Oh, Candy said, yes, Black authors. (laughs) So Candy, guess what? She also said she can't wait to see it on the big screen. Well, I just dropped the link. And this will take everyone straight to David's GoFundMe page. If you'd like to support in the efforts of getting this movie created, this is the link right here. But it's a live link right in the thread. Click on that. Any donation of love is greatly appreciated. We need to support our Black authors. We need to support our Black men in general, support our soldiers, our uh, vets. Mm-hmm. And Kenny said, yes. I can hear her voice right now. <laughs> yeah. But that would be amazing if everyone, in when you hear this story, share this video So people can see that they're not the only ones that are going through certain trials and tribulations and that it is okay to seek mental health. If you need a therapist, you want to talk to someone, be authentic. So when David and I first met, oh, there was one therapist there, but he wasn't there as a therapist. He was just there as someone that had joined the filming. Just looking again at all these brothers just talking, the room felt light. Mm-hmm. And that's because everyone was just talking about their unique lived experience. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing right there. So to see it on film, I dropped the link. You all know what to do. You all yeah. know what to do. So um, I, I'm loving the support and I hope this live goes viral. But look, 
I don't want to see any slapping on the stage when you get your Oscar, okay? <laughs> no, 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 no. Hopefully I'll have my mom up there with me, man. And now people will know uh, what what these military moms go through, man. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just getting to tell a story is, is something wonderful. Exactly. Kenny says she cannot wait to watch it on the. Oh, thank you. Cotty just shared it on her live. She's another YouTuber. Thank That's you. amazing. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you, Cotty. Yeah. This is some good stuff. Um, <laughs> she said, no. nice. <laughs> we won't say that name on here, but yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe I should, so it could go viral. I'll put it in the... So, oh, my gosh. No, no. So, um, it was... You know what? You're a delight to talk to. You Thank really you. are. You really are. you have any parting words you like to leave with us? I would say, no matter what you're going through, you're not going through it alone. Yes. And you, nobody can tell your story if you're no longer here. No matter what you're Ooh. going through is worth telling and uh, once and this and this professional speaking for me it is therapy that's why i get up and expose my soul to the audience because it makes me feel better to know that i went through that and here i am now right oh wait i have to put your youtube link ah, what am i thinking <laughs> i'm sorry i'm gonna do that as i close out so it can yeah. be well, it's already in the show notes, but I want to make it a live link. And yeah, it's just go- Lion Speaking Agency. That's the name of my company. Yeah, you all go and uh and subscribe to his page. And um, while I do that, can you talk about Lions? Yeah, so I name my I name my company Lion Speaking Agency. Lion Speaking, excuse me. Yeah, Lion Speaking Agency, because it really does take the heart of a lion to first of all get in front of a group of strangers. And just start talking to them, mm-hmm. but then to talk about something that's so intimate uh, as your as your mental health, your, to be vulnerable in front of people that you don't know, it, it really does take a big heart to do something like that. And uh, so, Lion Speaking Agency was born about 2016, mm-hmm. and you know, I've just been roaring away trying to tell my story and tell the story of those other veterans who are no longer here right because they have stories that are similar to mine and unfortunately they didn't get the help that they needed but i want to i want to help the world know what veterans go through because there's also another war going on in ukraine right now and i'm pretty sure that those soldiers are going through the same thing when it comes to their mental health let me ask you this since you you are out of the military when this war came up is that triggering yeah i wrote yeah. i wrote a, i wrote a blog about it i'm a, i'm a blogger for a company called psychology today and i love that website yeah i'm a, i'm a blogger on there and i didn't know that <laughs> you just come up with all these gems <laughs> it's it's seeing the most traumatic event that you've ever been through being replayed over and over and over again. Because now with the advancements in technology, you have people who are on the front lines uploading videos of dead bodies on their cell phones to TikTok. What? And you have, yeah, you have CNN doing recordings with dead body. Very, very, very triggering. So what my advice to anybody who has PTSD or who would be tri- who triggered by something like that, 
know where those know what the websites are or the the pages that you're going to visit or the websites or the the news sources you're going to go visit and just ignore them and and find the local nami because all the resources in nami are free reach out to me uh, my next blog for the month of april will be how to avoid those things what to do when you feel like the, these triggers are coming back into your mind because there's going to be a lot more coming out of Ukraine, unfortunately, I think in the weeks to come. Mm. And as soon as you turn on the news, first thing, because of the time difference, Ukraine. And if you're and if you survive your own explosions or bombs or something like that in Iraq or in Vietnam, that can be very triggering to you. As soon as you turn on the TV, you're seeing some of the same things you live through. In wow. Your yeah, you definitely have to know your triggers and more importantly, have tools to help you work through those triggering feelings. I had to work on that. Um, I've never been in the military, but um, I'll keep it very short. I When I was in college, I saw someone unalived right in front of me and he was wearing, I'll never forget, he was wearing a blue jean back in the day. That was the thing to wear blue jean denim top with denim jeans, pants. And it took decades. And whenever I would see anybody walking around with jeans, it would, it was a trigger. So mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine being in the military, like Cena on the regular or even turning on the TV and watching Ukraine and having those instant triggers. Yeah. I have a, wow. something. You got to have something called around you a team of champions so that when you know when they they know your triggers, they know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And they the first thing that they don't the first thing they don't do is offer you something to drink or something to smoke. They offer you an open ear because ah. we all have that friend. Hey, man, let's just get drunk. And that solves nothing. It sure does not. It, it doesn't it, at all. Nope. It compounds what's going on. It's just a mask. Speaking of talking, Cotty says she doesn't talk about her time. Oh, wait, where is it? Hold on. There we go. She doesn't talk about her time in the military for real. Only her immediate family knows. And that oddly enough, it was some of her best years, but also some of her worst. Yep. That's the way it happens. Yeah. Wow. So um, it's been wonderful. I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I really love talking to David. We, were, we, we met at uh, Starbucks and we talked forever, oh, yeah. <laughs> forever. And I think the only reason why I ended up leaving because I was trying to beat traffic to get yeah. home. Yeah. But very easy to talk to. If you all enjoyed anything, please, it invade your soul vibrate. Make sure and share this video. Make sure and tune in next Wednesday because I have, oh, Gabby, Gabby Johnson. We're going to be talking about emotional eating. Oh. I know it. Not, not what, but why we emotionally eat. We're going to get down to the root of it. And then we're going to have uh, my shadow work coach come on. And he's going to talk about what healing looks like. Thank you, Candy. Your, this video is being shared. 
Thank you. <laughs> I feel an Oscar coming on. Oh, man. And also, if you like anything you heard, make sure if you want to support this channel, you can um, buy me a coffee. I will drop that link in the description box as well. Other than that, um, David, again, you were a delight. Cannot wait to talk to you again. I will hope for you will come back. Oh, yeah. Yay. All right. You all, thank you so much and have a good evening. Good night. For the queen, sisters manifesting their dreams. Get your cream by any means and being with self-esteem. Beauty supreme and Buddha walk so mean. The way you fit in them jeans, you eat your cornbread and greens. Dance or a doctor, red wine or vodka. Redesign your spot and redefine your mantra. Retwist your locks and realign your chakras. Doing your squats and getting closer to God, huh? Brunching with your squad or taking a girl's trip. Adjust your crown, you guys give to the world, sis. Celestial body, drink your water. Meditate, sun kiss goddess, heavenly order. Levitate, tribe of Ashanti, black girl magic, melanin popping, whether you ratchet or lavish, whether you bougie or savage, you a gift and a treasure, you got to love a black girl getting a shift together, black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, man, these black girls are getting a shift together, these black girls getting a shift together, dog. joining me on this episode of Black Girls Getting Their Shift Together. If anything you heard today made your soul vibrate, please like, comment, and share this episode with two of your friends. Thank you and I love you all.